Welcome everyone, I'm Sam Sebastian, and you're listening to How Are You Doing Really? In today's episode, I am joined by my dear friend, Maya Barak. She is a wonderful woman that I had the opportunity of studying the Hakomi method with uh, back in, I believe, 2018 was when we did year one together. Right. And I, uh, I also wanted to in her, introduce her as um, a mother, uh, a hand analysis professional, um, an attachment parenting advocate, and a certified massage therapist focused on somao emotional healing, implementing attachment bodywork. Correct me if I mispronounced any of those things. Maya. No, I think I think you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm just so grateful we've we've been in contact um, the past month or so, just trying to set the the date and the time, and finally everything lined up, and and we're here. And yeah, I'm just so grateful to have you on today. And thank you for having me here and for really contacting and just talking and, you know, being the amazing Sam that you are. <laughs> we so much appreciate you. <laughs> thank you. And I, um, I don't know if I mentioned, uh, you have, you have two, two children, correct? Yeah. So I have two elementary aged kids. Um, and they're great. I mean, they're home for close to one year. Um, and it's been interesting. Um, you know, it has its ups and its downs and it's not always easy. I know many people are trying to make a beautiful picture of their life, but I think, um, it's really nice that things are not always perfect and they're not always okay. Because um, <laughs> when this whole thing started, like the COVID, um, I just finished um, massage therapy studies and I was like ready to rent a place and already started working with people um, and, you know, preparing for the um, attachment body work. And I was like so focused and finally I was like getting to open the business I wanted. Kids are in school. Everything is like in its right place. <laughs> Everything is aligned. And all of a sudden they're like, oh no, they're home. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, all right, two or three months. It's okay. It's just a setback and, and that's fine. And it was very lucky because both of them needed to come home. Both of them needed um, like the safe space of being a bit away from the environment they were at because it wasn't um, fully aligned to what they needed. And, you know, they had some struggles and they had some really great things. So, but I think they were both going through a period of time where it was a bit too much. And I think I started this whole thing with saying it came just in the right time for them. And so for two, three months, it's not the end of the world. That's fine. But then after two, three months where it was 
obvious that this is going to continue, I started questioning, so where am I in all of this? Like, you know, um, all of a sudden I got a lot more chores around the house and helping them with school. So I became a teacher too. And it was just like a full day of doing things I never signed up for, you know, um, full time, like being a teacher, like, you know, <laughs> um, and it, like, I was like, mm. and, uh, sort of, I guess my back was, you know, at the wall, like I, I can't go anywhere and I can't do anything else. And they really do need help. They're still young. And in a way, I think it gave me time to step back and to surrender to what is. And to say, okay, so I'm not going to do what I was thinking I was supposed to do right now. What can I do? Because I like working with people. I like, um, you know, teaching um, and helping and just providing my perspective of things and having a conversation. And having that time sort of gave me a really good perspective and to say, Oh, I know what are all the connecting pieces in my life that have brought me up to here. And I think after doing um, over 10 years of hands analysis, and I don't know if you want me to just tell a little bit about it so people understand what it is. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the hand analysis method is based on a medical analysis that was developed long before the ultrasound and other prenatal tests that are being done today. And when a baby was born, they would take the handprints and the footprints of the baby. And from those, they learned about 80 to 90 different diagnoses that the baby could have had. And it could have been anywhere from having genetic illnesses or like genetic things that went through. And it, like you, you could have seen, for example, Down syndrome, which is usually seen physically around when the baby is around one years of age. They knew about different types of conditions. And Dr. Holzman, who developed this method and learned both psychology and genetics, said if we know so much about the body, we probably can also know more about the emotional body. And so he translated this method into um, behavioral science, into psychology. And the, it's amazing how uh, we have so many maps in our, in our body, and one of them is the hands. And um, it was proven in the research that was done that our palms are connected to the cortex. Um, the brain that keeps on changing that we know today and is flexible. And those changes will show themselves in the hands as we grow. So every time we experience something new, we learn something new, we go through certain traumas or through certain happy things and we change, it will show up in the hands. And there are over 150 elements that we see in the hands. So when I sit with a person uh, what I generally see, what I like, what I see are the genetic gifts that we came to the world with. And they could be very different for each and every one. It talks about how intelligence, sensitivity, how we learn, um, how we experience things, um, control, like being a control freak, 
It could be a genetic, like something you were born with, mm-hmm. or something that was nurtured, experiences you had in early childhood. And that's really the second part of the analysis is what really happened emotionally and personally, the personal development since birth until today. And um, developmental psychology talks about how the, our first seven years of life have major influence on our personality. And we, of course, don't remember it because we're young and everything just doesn't, um, you know, we don't remember it consciously, but our subconscious, and which is our brain, but also our body, many, many of our memories are actually residing also in the body, would affect us throughout adulthood and it will not change until we become aware and work with it. And sometimes what I've learned that through body work, we don't really have to be always aware. We just need to be able to unfold the layers of hurt and the defenses or the defense mechanisms that we have built in order to really be able to open up and allow the gift and the sensitivities, the abilities, mm-hmm. um, everything to really start shining out after we touch the fear and the hurt and the trauma. And the analysis, what it really provides is the why. Why are we behaving? Why are we having a certain communication or relationship or behavior? Um, why are we reacting? And I really, um, maybe I'll just tell a story to help understand. So I had a man come. He was, um, towards the end of his thirties. He was very, he was married. Uh, he loved his wife, had kids that he was totally devoted to. And he was really giving his whole to his family. But he was also hiding a very difficult and painful truth. So his actual life, in his deeply buried life, the dream life that he wanted to have, were, and that I don't think he hardly ever admitted it to himself and definitely not to others, they were really world apart. And I think that what it is important to explain is how like one layer of experience is built on top of the other. And they create a behavior that we take with us throughout our life. And it's like a very heavy burden, but it's a defense mechanism that helped us survive as kids and as adults, it could really hurt us. So this guy, he had a very strong-headed, stubborn, critical, very controlling type of mother, but she was also a very loving woman. And we need to understand that her behavior is an outcome of her childhood, of her experiences. So when I talk about parents or caretakers, I never, the idea, we don't want to judge them. We don't want to blame anyone. We just want to understand. Okay. There's a lot of space to understanding that they had their own experiences, their own traumas, but the child still needs to understand what happened and mm-hmm. what they experience. Because sometimes, you know, our parents behave a certain way or raise a certain way because this is what they knew. They didn't know differently. Everyone was doing it. It was okay. But for the child who experienced it, that experience was not okay. So when he was 
very early, like infancy, when he was a baby, his experiences led him to not listen to his body, to ignore his needs, to ignore his wants, always being alert of what is happening outside, where babies, especially during the first six months, they really go in and they feel like, you know, I'm happy, I'm warm, I'm fed, I'm loved. And instead, he was always like in an alert state where it's always outwards, you know, under like always being aware of the external world where babies are really not supposed to be there. So when, when you are not listening to the inside, right, to what it is on the inside, we're not going to listen to genetic gifts that we were born with. For example, are we sensitive? Are we control freaks? Are we creative? Are we very much um, enjoying company of others? How? What are our learning abilities? And along with all of these of not listening to himself, he had a very um, strong sense of righteousness, but on a positive side. So distinguishing between right and wrong, um, what is fair or unfair. But the thing is that he always directed it towards others instead of himself. And he was more forgiving to others and he wasn't forgiving to himself. Also as a baby, because his mom was always worried about him and she wanted to protect him, um, which is a natural thing for parents to do. He never was allowed to really experience the environment, like to explore and experience the environment in a way that a child should be. So let's just say... Um, he picked up something from the floor and he put it in his mouth like babies do while crawling. And his mom was like, oh no, that's not good for you and just took it out. Now she's worried about him and she wants to protect him not to get any kinds of germs, right? Mm-hmm. But what the baby learns is like, mom is angry at me. He may not still understand everything she says, but he can hear the intonation and he can see the look on her face. And when this happens over and over again, what they're learning is like, don't explore. It's dangerous. You're not going to be loved, protected. You don't, you're not going to have the safety and the cuff, comfort of being who you are already as a baby. Now our brain is not fully understanding this, but the body understands it fully that there's a danger in exploring. Now, when a baby is not exploring their world and they're confining themselves to be more watchful of how mom is going to react, they're not going to learn what are their likes and dislikes. What do they enjoy doing or not enjoy doing? They're always going to be focused outside. Okay. And as an adult, that's going to make him um, be more focused on, on others rather on himself, seeing what their reactions are. And Freud assigned the repetition compulse, repetition compulsion is the desire to return to the early stages of things or states of things, which generally means that when we have a repetitive experience, and it could be traumatic and it could be very good, as adults as or as we grow, we would have a tendency to just do it over and over again until we bring it into awareness, understand what happened, and decide to change it. Mm-hmm. So when we have good experiences, when we are loved and cared for the way that we need to, we're going to do the same in adulthood. We'll look for partnerships that provide us with that love, with that comfort, with that safety. But if we didn't experience that type of a relationship, 
we will usually find a relationship that will imitate and will become the same as the one we experienced in childhood. So just going back, so this guy is not, you know, he's not listening to his body, didn't explore. And the mother, who was very much in control and loving her son, didn't want him to experience failure or heartache. So she constantly, as a child, told him what to do, what decisions to make, who to be friends with. And this is like a layer built up on a layer on a layer. And she just wanted to keep him safe, right? But when he didn't learn how to experience things, when he came out to the big world, you know, you're 18, you're on your own, what do you do? And he didn't because he never learned what he liked or disliked. And he did what everyone else would expect him to do, what everyone else do, which is like go to college, get married, get a job, have kids. And when I sat with him, um, after telling him that, I asked him, how is your life really sitting with you being gay? And he kept silent. He knew well what I was talking about. And he just couldn't bring himself to talk about it. I don't think he ever spoke about it to anyone. And as I continued talking to him about what I saw in the hands, towards the end, I, I like, I assured him, I told him, listen, you're already on the path of self-discovery. I don't think there's a lot of going back. Like you can't stop it because there's a part of you that needs to learn about who you are and get in touch with those beautiful gifts that he was given. And he looked at me and he's like, I will never hurt my family and I will never live my wife. And I was looking at him, realizing the magnitude of his sacrifice um, for his family and for doing what he was expected to do instead of doing what he was born to do. Um, it made me realize again and again how much, you know, we have a right to connect to ourselves and to be who we were supposed to be. Um, and, you know, the analysis is a one-time meeting. I see a person, I don't see them again, and I rarely hear from people again. Um, I think people should explore who they are, should learn um, and understand why, why we are, like our life is the way it is, why we are not happy and not connected. Because I think until I was in my 30s, like um, late 20s, early 30s, I was very clueless. I was like not knowing, like I studied a lot of things. I th I already had I had a BA in business and an MA in art history. And I had a friend and I was going down and I was enjoying myself, but I wasn't happy. I didn't really find what I wanted to do in life. Like I didn't have, like, you know, my life purpose. I knew I had something. <laughs> I just didn't know what it was. And I didn't have um, a healthy relationship. I had relationships, but in the past, but none of them were the ones I knew I wanted to have. And when I was 30, I decided to give myself a gift. And I went to a hand analysis. And that's after, you know, I've been working on myself and doing more like developmental work and therapy and all sorts of interesting things. But 
I felt I was hitting a, a glass ceiling that I couldn't, I just didn't know how to move to like the next step. Mm-hmm. And I went to an analysis and in about an hour and a half to two hours, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, there was so much information that was provided about the early years and how they influence. And this guy who doesn't know me just looks at my hands and he explains to me one-on-one how I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing and why he's, he's explaining to me why, which is like, you have this aha moment of like, ah, now I understand and everything connected, you know, and I think, Knowledge is 50% of the way. But then you have another 50% or whatever percentage it's different for everyone of what you want to do with it. What do you want to work on? And he suggested I go do <clears throat> the attachment body work. And I was like, I was like, I need help. <laughs> so I go head in. Mm-hmm. And I remember it, it's not a very long um, treatment. I think it was about <clears throat> seven to eight months altogether from beginning to end. It was very difficult <laughs> emotionally and physically. I sensed my body had such great resistance. And you know what they say where it hurts most is where we need to work. Mm-hmm. And so I stuck to it. I hated every second. <laughs> I, I was like, I really don't like this, but I know this is my, like, like the, like the, my safety boat. Like this is, they're throwing me a rope here and I need to hang on to it. And even after I finished it, I still didn't know, like, I didn't understand what I went through. And I think about, a year and a half later, after beginning this whole process, something happened in my body. Something opened up. Something realized a lot of things that I didn't understand or was in touch with before. I just didn't have access to them. And it was something about intimacy. It was something about connection and communication. It was learning myself in a way that I've never learned before. It was being intimate with myself first, you know, um, knowing what I wanted. Things started to sit well. I knew I was supposed to help people in some way. And I realized that if I had so much, um, work done and went through so much and all of a sudden you know i started meeting different people like other people that were more aligned with the person i turned into and the energies around me changed and i felt more connected and more safe and i had more trust in my body which i didn't i never had in the past um You know, it was a very powerful journey, you know, and we have a long life journey, but I think it was the largest metamorphosis I went through 
I always say it was one of my, um, what, like we have like different lifetimes that we go through, right? I feel like I lived a few lifetimes in this life. You know, I, this was a big change, a major change. I went from, you know, being in one very ununder, like hurt, painful, traumatized, afraid of relationships, talking to people, very protective, very defensive into an open heart, into a safe space, into being able to connect to my emotions and saying, oh, they're allowed to be here and it's okay to feel hurt. I don't have to run away from it. And it's okay to be disappointed. I'm allowed to be disappointed too. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be loved. And it's okay to feel loved. And it's okay to hurt. And I'm very, very grateful for going through that before I had my kid. Because I think, I don't think, I pretty much know that if I would have had children before I went through this change, through this journey, I would have passed them, I, I would have passed to them the same burdens, the same hurt, the same traumas that I experienced. And what I love about the work that I did and what I see others do, and it's like we're, you know, we're, we have these shackles and burdens that we carry with us. And I let go of a lot of them. Sure, there are still, you know, to take care of. It's not the end and it's, it never is. And that's okay. But I am so much lighter. <laughs> My weight is so much lighter than it used to be. And life is better. Not because they are better, like, you know, they're good or they're happy. No, it's because it's okay to be in the places that are not okay. There's, you know, there's room for them. There's room for me to be happy and unhappy, sad and tired and laughing and dancing and all of these things. It's, it doesn't have to be just, you know, um, we had a conversation with friends last night. And we were talking about, you know, um, social media, how everyone puts pictures of them being happy and doing the things they love. But that's just a small percentage of what life is, right? Don't we all have those moments where we just want to stay under the covers <laughs> and not come out, right? Don't we all feel sadness? Sometimes we don't even know what, what triggered it. And I really want people, like I wish for people to be okay with that. To say, hey, we have sad and crappy and unkind sides to us too. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the burden we're carrying to always look perfect and be happy. And it's not supposed to be like that. It's, it's okay to be a lot of things. I hear like a, a true sense of just acceptance, you know, accepting the, the parts of ourselves, the, the emotions that maybe we really love and, and want to, to be seen for. And then also making space for the ones that are more vulnerable and challenging and painful to experience and be seen in. <laughs> But there's so much, 
I imagine both you and I know this and, and a lot of people listening know this, you know, there's so much um, just power. I don't know if power is the right word, but the, there's strength. a beauty strength and, and being seen in that way. And, and mm-hmm. actually like getting through that discomfort, getting through the un- uncertainty, uncomfortableness that comes along with those emotions, with those feelings and those experiences in life. And I, I do really agree with what you were saying around with, with social media and kind of putting out there the, the more the perfect quote unquote side of things or the, the, the parts of us that we want to be seen for or maybe want to aspire to be and not that it's a false sense of identity but i do think that it it does social media has a significant impact on how we perceive ourselves to be how we perceive others to be and oftentimes we're not seeing the full spectrum of what people are going through and Mm-hmm. And it can be really challenging, I think, especially for kids, for them mm-hmm. to 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 be under the pressure of the rules of social media or the 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 ways of being on social media. I think you know it's interesting that you say it because I always see also the other side because we're saying, yeah, you know, show your your vulnerability, the pain, the hurt, but people need to take responsibility first. If you don't take responsibility and say, because, you know, pain and pleasure as, as human beings, we have a tendency to seek um, pleasure and avoid pain. And I think people need to take responsibility and say, you know what, I really need to step up and be in the place where it hurts and be vulnerable. It's it's a very courageous step. It's not an easy one and it's not always the right time to do it. And that's okay. But if we keep avoiding and just trying to build like this beautiful picture, um, then yes, we're hurting ourselves. And like you said, we're hurting our children because they're thinking, Oh, everyone has this beautiful life. They're traveling, they're with friends, they're picking up their wine and they're all like clicking it. And, you know, but, and they're like, but I don't feel the same. And I think it's time. And I think part of the work is like, I work with adults, but I also work with parents, with moms, especially is saying, you know, show your kids that you have a rainbow of emotions. Show your kids. It's okay to wake up sometimes and just be tired. And just be hurting or crying that it's okay. And, and it's interesting because my daughter yesterday, she, I don't know what triggered her. We don't know, but she was so emotional and she's usually very easygoing, very happy kind of kid. But yesterday she had a very difficult afternoon and we had to leave for friends. And I was like, Oh, and I was like, you know what? I just relax a second. She needs this time, a few more minutes here or there. I'm not going to. They'll be okay, and my friends will understand. And you know, I sat and talked to her, and she it, it went through stages, and just being with her emotions, 
And even when we got to our friends, she still had some of those emotions. So I sat with her there, you know, and I asked her, so what are you feeling? And she was like, there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of pain. And I asked her, and can we talk to them? And she's like, no, they don't want to talk. Hmm. And I was like, okay, can you tell me where they reside in your body? Are they huge? Are they like the the size of the window? Or she's like, no, no, no. The half upper part of my body is hurt and the lower part is anger. And so we started talking about it and saying, okay, so I told her, you know, your emotions are welcomed here and I'm going to love you no matter what emotions you have. And I just sat with her and we talked about what they felt like. And she said, I don't know what to do with them. And I said, it's okay not to know what to do with them. And she just burst into tears and she was like, mom, I just don't know if I can contain it. And I was like, it's okay. I'm here to hold you and be with you. I'll help you. And I think that allowance of being the permission of being hurt and being angry and feeling like it's overwhelming, saying it's okay, it happens to everyone. And she said, I never expected it to be this big. And I was like, yeah, that's life. It sometimes happens that, you know, not good things. We didn't expect something and it really went bad. And I was like, it's okay. We just need to be with it and let's just sit with it. And for me, those are the golden moments because it's like, it's teaching her what I was never taught. That's breaking the chain. Mm -hmm. That's saying that's behind me and I'm not moving it forward. I'm leaving it behind where it should have stayed a long time ago. It's time to allow our kids feel hurt and feel happy and to dance and to want to stay in bed it's time to allow ourselves as parents and as adults to say today i'm going through something i'm not even sure what it is i'm just you know i'm not in my element and to be okay with it and to ask for help or to just say i need some time to be on my own i I love hearing that story about just you being with your daughter, being able to make space for the breath of her emotions and, and not making it wrong in any way. And, and also just, just being with her in that, you know, it, it's uncomfortable. It, it sucks. And I would maybe just, add the potential of of finding a healthy way to let out some of that anger you know i i think about my experience as a kid and i i learned from just observing my older siblings how they would get in trouble for certain things to to not be caught doing certain things or to be a good boy because I knew that was going to get me that love and acceptance that I was always wanting. Right. And it was it was not the the best way, you know. It it was a way that I learned, but it what what's recently come up for me is my experience of suppressing my anger and not letting it out and I like I'll, I'll 
say, like, I'm not angry, but you heard that in my voice, you know, like, and even with my hands, people are just listening, but I had put my hands in and, and pushed them out. And, you know, our bodies are saying so much, um, even if our words or minds are saying another. Oh, yeah. And I think one of the sweetest experiences I had with uh, my therapist a couple of weeks ago was him. Like I was talking to him about this because it comes up in my relationship with my partner, Finn. And he, Finn had just been like, are you aware of what what's happening with your own anger? You know, and because his is my experience of his anger sometimes is just like outward and just kind of directed towards me at times or mm-hmm. just at, at physical objects. And I contract inside when that happens. I, I, I witnessed my dad and my brother fight a lot and, and physically get into it. And so it, 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 it makes me scared and, and want to contract and, and get away from it. So from a young age, learning that anger wasn't okay, that it potentially could hurt me or another person, and and to now be in a relationship where my anger is very much there, and mm-hmm. and maybe for a while I I was just like, no, it's not, everything's okay, and and to really look at it and and see how I am angry and how inside internally like i i know there's times where i'm just like ah like screaming inside and one of the pieces of homework that i got from my therapist was to if i'm angry even if i'm not angry have some sort of time set aside or a practice of going into the room he gave me this example of laying on my bed flat on my back and just moving my arms and like banging them into the bed if I want screaming out loud and just letting go until I reach the point of exhaustion and then doing it again two to three times just to see what happens as I kind of let that out and he really wanted me to also be aware of how I could turn my anger into strength not direct it towards other people or misdirect it towards other things, but to to use it these practices as a way to get it out, to move it through my body, and also to to energize me. And and I think about how the other day I I was out with some friends uh, riding a bike, and we we were looking out over the mountains, and I was like, guys, do you mind if we all just like scream at the top of our lungs and they're like, why? And I was like, just see how it feels, you know? And, uh, and I did it and they did it with me and we did it a couple times and it was just so like just letting out whatever sound, you know, and, and really doing it to the point where I was just like, there was nothing left. It was huge. Um, so, so yeah, I, I really, um, I love, having ways of physicalizing emotions as well in a way where we're not harming ourselves or harming others. So that's what I think that as adults, like if we've already had those um, experiences and bottled up the anger, not allowing it to be expressed, 
as opposed to having a child deal with it and say it's okay for it to be present here. You know, let's deal with it. How does it feel in your body? That's the outlet for her was to just acknowledge it and accept it, right? It's much easier. And when she wants to punch her brother, it's not okay. So, and we asked her, do you want to hit a pill? She's like, no, no, no. I want to hit my brother. <laughs> We're like, that's not, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But like, it's like, we understand that you want to, but you still can't do it. You can decide. We tell her you can choose a pillow. And he was even kind, her brother. He was like, I'll hold a pillow and imagine it's me. And she went around him and punched him. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and, and yeah, I agree with you. As I think it, where we are, unlike, you know, the kids that we can have a different story for them, a different experience, we do need to, like you say, scream out, or like using voice and vibration, music, movement, shaking. There are a lot of body works, body tools that we can do. And I had a a friend who came for a massage. I was like, oh, it's your birthday. Let's give you a massage. And it was very interesting. I was working on him, I think, for like 30 to 40 minutes. And I feel this resistance. Not muscle, like not tight muscles. Tight muscles, I know how to work with. There was a resistance in the body to the touch. And there was some, it was more like a protective layer that wouldn't let me through. And I was like, oh, what's happening here? So I was just like, you know, asking my guide, saying, I feel a resistance. Could you please help me? I need you to guide my hands to know what to do. And I just asked him, is it okay if I stroke your head? I just let go of the muscle, let go of the body. And he said, yes. So I stroked his head for five to ten minutes, just very gently. And I felt like my motherly energies coming into the room and really being present. And he started crying. Hmm. And something about his body, like we know crying is a way of letting go, like laughter, like screaming, like moving. Something in his inner child that was never held that way, was never given space to be just touched gently and loved for who he is, the way he is. And I felt like that layer has been been starting to soften. There was something about him that was more accepting. And he just enjoyed it. And when we talked later, he said, you know, I never cried. And he's been going through, you know, different journeys and different paths. And learning about himself and I just realized how powerful the touch is you know the being with someone where they're where they need it giving what they are supposed to get that they are missing and it just made me understand how powerful 
and how strong the body work is when it comes to emotional baggage that we're carrying with us. Um, and like you're saying, we need to find there are so many tools of using our body to help us really open up those pains, the hurt, the emotions we're not touching. And I love what you said that, you know, you just had to lay on the bed and move and shake and, until you're exhausted because that's when the body is allowing to, to let go. The, the muscles, you know, the, the memory sits in the cells and the muscles and it's holding tight. It's a defense mechanism. It's not going to let you go until you just allow it. And, you know, I, I come from a place where body work has been developed on many levels and you see the outcomes and it's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's so amazing that just talking about is usually not enough. It can bring you so far that if you're not going to help your body go through it, the, uh, whatever is stuck in there, whatever is protecting, preventing, if you use body work, it's just going to do everything much better. Like it's, it's really helpful. It's teaching because we're not just like, you know, an intellectual body. We're physical, we're emotional, we're energy, we're spirit. We're a lot of things and we need to connect all of them. We need to sort of like work on this level and that level and that body and this thing. And it makes sense that there would be different tools to use. And in the end, I think it's really experiencing one thing and saying, oh, like you said, you know, I connect to something or I don't connect to something. It's good for me or it's not good for me. I feel it's the right thing for me or not. Like your friends were a bit like shocked, like what, we're just going to scream? Like, yeah, just try it out. It's a, an amazing outlet. I remember just like, you know, going in front of the ocean and screaming because it was just like voicing something I never allowed to voice, like the hurt, the anger, the pain. The, I never had space for them, you know, when I was young. It was like, it, it just, no one talked to me about it. No one explained about it. Mm -hmm. Not because they didn't want to, but because they had their own, um, fears, their own barriers. And it's all just part of what we're supposed to go through. And that's why I say, take responsibility. Don't procrastinate for too long. Do things that help your life change for the better. If you're scared of something, check what's, what, what's behind the fear. You know, is it worth going in or not yet? Or maybe looking for a different avenue. We have so many layers and so many things that are worth, you know, working on. People need to understand there's a reason why each and every one of us has come here to experience the life they experience and to go through what they went. But if they're not going to take responsibility over their life, they're probably going to remain miserable and unhappy and in pain, which they are trying to avoid. And it's counterintuitive why I dive into the pain when it hurts, right? Well, I think about just one thing you mentioned, the defense mechanisms that, that come up. You know, a, a lot of people maybe are 
unaware of how they're defended to letting go of some of these core beliefs that they have, you know, it's just, they think it's the truth, you know, and not making them wrong for that. It's, it's, you're, you're not able to see it until you are and until you are able to really zoom out and see it from a different perspective or have somebody or some sort of experience in your life that can, can do that for you. And, I want to also go back to just the experience with your client on the massage table, your friend who you were giving a massage to, and that kind of intuitive sense that you got, wow, I'm, I'm really coming up against this boundary. There's something there. You didn't quite know what it was. You, you asked for that guidance on how to address that, that current situation. And one, I want to name even myself as a massage therapist, a body worker, how I've been on a massage table and have just, my body is just like clenching up and I'm just like, no, like I need to get off this table. I need something to shift. And I don't say anything. I don't say it. And, and I I think that's another thing that obviously I need to work through on on myself And, and I also want to empower people who do experience that on the table to say something, even if it's just, hey, can we just take a moment and take a breath or I need something to shift. But, but having that opportunity like your client had with you, just being them, being there with them, stroking the hair on their head and and the the emotions that were there that that missing experience that they maybe have always wanted but never had never knew how to ask for mm-hmm. can be huge and and so healing and and i think that's also when you you talk about there's so many different ways to approach this it, it can be through massage it can be through dance it can be through other forms of movement and i i just think about something i heard on a podcast the other day like if if somebody is really triggered if you're really triggered uh your defenses are up you're angry i just the recommendation is to take 45 minutes an hour go run get outside go for a walk do something with your body to move that energy and then come back, come back and talk if that's possible. I totally, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. It's just so important to be, you say, Hey, I need a break. And it's so hard for us because we're, we have those, whatever subconscious mechanisms that are like we were taught don't, say something to someone so you won't hurt them. It might hurt their feelings. You know, you, you know, I sometimes I see it with kids, like, they, you know, we have some, like my daughter, she has a friend and they usually, you know, either he eats here, lunch or dinner, or she eats there. And I could see he was not eating one of the things and he didn't say anything. And I was like, you know, I know usually it's not kind to tell people um, that you don't like their food, but I've known you long enough. And I told him, I want you to know that I'm okay with you telling me I don't like the food. I'm not going to take it personally. 
And he was like looking at me like, uh, this goes against everything I was taught. Like, you can't do this to me. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just nice, you know, to, to, I always like try to teach my kids, ask questions. Don't take everything for granted. If you don't feel comfortable with something, stay there. And, and they don't like, like, especially my eldest one, he does not like being uncomfortable. He just wants everything to be easygoing and comfortable. And, you know, it's, I'm trying to, you know, it's like, ask questions. I even, so with, with my son, for example, because I know on a more emotional level, it's harder for him. What I did, he's learning, he's in fifth grade, so he's learning American history. And American history, you know, they teach a little bit about Native Americans, what their life was before, and then they talk about the settlers and how they came here and whatever they brought, and they don't talk about, they don't talk a lot about the really bad things that happened here, right? And you'll see I'm getting very upset (laughs) because the history that was told that is being told because I also, when I learned American history, I was taught the same things. And it's always about the settlers. And the thanks, when Thanksgiving comes, I'm like out of myself. It's like, I'm not, I, I can't bring myself to celebrate this holiday. I can celebrate being thankful for what I have in my life, but I want my kids to ask questions. And so I got my son a book. It's like this thick and it's called. I don't remember the name, I can bring it, but it's called something like the the history of the Americas. And it tells the history of the United States from the point of view of Native Americans and people and, and Africans who came from Africa, the slaves and the Chinese who worked here to build the trails. And it just brings a whole different perspective of what truly happened. Mm-hmm. And I told them, it's not just one point of view. It's not just one person is right and the other one is wrong. And you need to ask yourself about everything you're being taught. Is it right for me? Is that the truth? What, what else do I not know that I need to know in order to be able to be more open and accept things that I don't understand, that I don't know that others do? And it's that dance you know, that you need to teach them, ask uncomfortable questions, talk about them. You know, we had dinner with um, a family here and I was talking about, you know, it was just around Thanksgiving and I was talking about all these things and he's like, well, white men didn't just do bad things. I'm like, "Uh, look at Australia, look at Africa, look at the States, look at Mexico, look at, and he was, he was like, and, you know, and I know it's not an absolute thing. It's not everything is bad and everything is good. But just allowing yourself to learn what you were taught without asking, without inquiring. And I'm not saying that, you know, I, I just think we need to acknowledge what happened. So our world could become a better place. So we know not to repeat the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. To not be condescending, to not think we're better, to not think we have a right that others don't. I want my kids to know that everyone is really truly equal and to see them through their heart and not 
through what they were taught through history books. Or to take the history and say, this wasn't a good history, let's change that. Mm. Or this was a good thing, let's keep that and let it, you know, flourish. I want them to know that it's okay that bad things happen, but that they have the responsibility to make sure it doesn't come back, it doesn't return. And to talk about it, it's painful and it's hurting, but we need to talk about it to make sure these things never happen again. So true. I wish and hope for more parents to take a similar approach in whatever way feels authentic to them. I, uh, I want to ask you, what's something you've learned from your children? It's really helped you to see something that you weren't aware of before. The first thing that pops into mind is when my son was three years old, he looked at me and he said, Mom, you know, you yell at me a lot and you're really angry with me. And I looked at him and I told him, you know what? You are absolutely right. I am so sorry. I will start working harder on changing that. I will continue doing it, not because I want to, but because I'm still triggered. It's going to take me time, but I'm starting to work more, like more arguably, like harder on it or strongly on it. And I did. And I can tell you how thankful I am for him for doing that because I've noticed more what triggers me and I understood that those are my triggers and these are my wishes and my wants that have mm-hmm. nothing to do with his wishes or here his wants and that it is okay for him to have his wishes and his wants and for me to have the patience and the breath to be here with him where he needed it and to, that it's also okay to sometimes tell him I'm starting to feel anger coming up and it's not the right time right now I need some time for myself and it's a balance it's a dance you know it's that uh, it's okay for me to need something and it's okay for you to need something and we need to learn how to be with both of those things even if they don't always sit together well and it's a lot about respecting each other and understanding that how much it hurt him for all the right reasons he was a hundred percent right he couldn't have been more right and i'm so thankful for him for saying that and for seeing that and for pointing it out. And I, it's not that I didn't know it. I knew it. But when he said it, I was like, mm. like he really like put us up a spotlight on it. Mm-hmm. And I needed that. I needed for him to say, like, I, it's not healthy for me. You have to stop. Yeah. Like you need to change something about yourself. And I, I can feel like how I incorporated more breath work more awareness 
And, you know, I think as a parent, maybe, I don't know, you know, I talked to him, like, you know, because he's in fifth grade. So I talked to him about girls having their period and me having like more of like hormonal changes of emotions that are more obvious in women than they are men. Although men, I explained to him, men also go through cycles. They're just different and experience different things. Mm-hmm. But I tell him so he will be more accepting of the fact that we are different and that sometimes I have things that are out of my control um, and that I'm also taking care of them. Because, like, you know, they took him to acupuncture and I take myself to acupuncture to mm-hmm. help with the hormones, for example, because it's a change at a certain age. And he knows, so we talk about it, but it's out there. It's not hidden. It's not a secret. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed of it. Like I was like, you know, my mom never spoke to me about my period ever. Not even when I got it. She just brought me what I needed and that's it. And there was always, I guess, shame around it. And it's like, no, it it used to be a sacred time. Um, you know, um, ancient, um, People used to see it as a very powerful thing that women had. And I think each one of us has male, female, or whatever is, you know, not male, female. We all have a very special thing in us and we don't need to be ashamed or embarrassed and we need to move it forward because you know how, like, when you raise kids, it's it's nice because you can provide them a better adult life because you have so much influence in them. That's why I like working with moms. But I also like working with adults because, you know, we're already in the, in the place where we are hurt and traumatized. But if we're not going to change ourselves, like what my son helped me change in myself, then how am I going to help him grow up to be an adult that learns how to deal with the anger that it's okay to have it, but it needs a healthy outlet, but it still needs an outlet. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, uh, just hearing you describe how you're able to see potentially your own shame your own guilt your your own anger could could potentially be put onto your children if you're unaware of that but by being aware of that by naming it acknowledging it even in the moment in the real time it it takes that potential for them to take on your your shame your guilt and your anger and that's huge it's huge because it it i imagine it's it's teaching them oh i need to i need to learn how to acknowledge and accept my own (laughs) emotions and not make them somebody else's that's true and and i have to say and i want to make this very clear i am not a perfect parent i'm not the perfect mom and i'm okay with that Mm-hmm. And my kids are still going to feel anger and sometimes they won't know how to deal with it. And that's okay too. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has, like I took responsibility. Mm-hmm. I took the work. It's not easy. It's not always fun. Some of it is amazing, you know? Like I cuddled with my girl this morning in bed. We were just playing and having fun. It was great. 
But yesterday, I was like, go to your dad because I'm feeling like I can't, like, it's too much for me. I want people to know it's not perfect and it's not going to be perfect. Just be okay with it. Right? Yeah. Just breathe into it. It's not the end of the world. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay not to know the answers. And it's super important and okay to ask for help. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's it's amazing. I when my kids make mistakes, I cheer them. I'm like, yeah, you made a mistake. That's how amazing. <laughs> and they look at me like, you're loony. <laughs> it's like, mom, what is wrong with you? Like, that's that's the best way to learn. It's not the it's not the easiest and it's not the most fun way to learn, but it's a mm-hmm. it's a, it's a learning experience. Mm-hmm. And that's all that it is. We can't I don't want them to make too much of a big thing out of failure and out of being not successful and out of feeling crappy and out of whatever we usually try to hide. I want them to just be okay with it. And to say it is what it is. And let's just deal with what is right now without the fear, without being afraid of hurt, being afraid of pain. We, we can't continue doing that. Not to ourselves and not to the kids who are coming here to be on this planet. We just, we have to stop it. It's enough. Mm-hmm. Well, as we bring this conversation to an end i just want to put out there if if there's anything that you um haven't shared that you really wanted to 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 put out there uh this could be an opportunity for that and then also um yeah any or or maybe like a poem or a story or or something that kind of depicts what what your your message has been is um throughout this conversation um i want to tell a story and again usually it's women who come for a hand analysis but because it's um scientifically based or medical based then i have men coming too and I had, uh, he was in his 40s. He was a manager in one of the Fortune 500 companies, managed hundreds of people, um, loved what he did, had a wife that he loved, kids that he loved, a hobby that he just flourished in. And when he came to me, I was like, like what is he doing here? <laughs> you know, usually people who are okay don't come for a hand analysis. And... When I was looking, I was like, oh, I see. He had a very loving mother. She loved him with all her heart. She hugged him and she touched him and she provided all the experiences he needed. And it's funny because usually when people come to me, like, you know, I explain it's, it's based on a science. It's not like I'm not telling futures. I'm actually talking about the past. And, you know, I know that some people like, you know, because people are thinking like, oh, you're a witch or, you know, you have like some clairvoyance. I'm like, no, no, I, I really don't. It's a map. I just know how to read it. And I looked at him and I asked him, are you the youngest child in the family? And I see the look. It's like, uh, how did you know? <laughs> and I was like, were you like 
quote unquote, like a mistake, like you weren't, you know, they didn't expect you. And he, like, you could see the look like you're a witch, like you couldn't have known this from my hands. And the truth is that I can know this from the hands. It's not like something that I receive. It's something that I see in the handprints. And I explained to him, I told him, is it true that when like you were told, like I told him your mom loved you. She, she wanted you always. It, it, it was never a question of that. But was your family joking about you being a mistake? Just saying, oh, you were just a mistake. You're not supposed to be here. But, and it's all out of like good sense of humor, right? But children don't share that sense of humor. Their brains is not fully developed to understand and to deal with. And his experience is that he is not supposed to be here on this earth. He has no right to walk this earth. And we call this element dead on arrival because he feels like he has no place here. And no matter how amazing his life is, he would always feel that he has no place here, that he doesn't have the right to live here and to be here. And I told him, and it's the only thing you need to tell these people, which is absolutely true, is that there's a reason why universe, God, faith, call it whatever you believe in, wanted you to be here. Your soul has a reason to be here. And I'm thinking of 40-something years of walking on this earth, achieving all the achievements that everyone would be like, oh my God, like so amazing. And not feeling any part of it is true. Like he didn't have a right to have all of that good thing in his life just because of that one thing. So I want people to be curious and to ask and to question and to dig deep mm. and ask for help. Make sure you're surrounded with people who love you and will also challenge you and will make sure that are protected and to know that we are never alone alone is up here it's not out there thank you and thank you so much one more thing i really want to thank you because you made me feel so relaxed and so in tune with this information and i was worried like i was writing what do i need to say what and you just made me feel so comfortable and so in my element making this such a pleasant experience. I so much appreciate you. Thank you. I'm taking that in. You deserve it. I love you, Maya. I love you too, Sam. Thank you all so much for listening to How Are You Doing Really? If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, you can find the various platforms on my website, as well as additional information about me and the work that I do in this world at samsebastian.com. That's S-A-M-S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review on whichever platform you listen to us on. I want to give a special shout out to Dominique Ferraton for helping with the production of this podcast. 
additionally to Nico Holloman for creating the music. If any of you are interested in being a guest on the show, you can reach out to me directly at sam at samsebastian.com. May you all be well. May you be loved. May you be at ease. Until next time.